Well, you know, we focused on uh, last week the introduction to Thessalonians. We saw Acts 17, 1 through 9 is the background to the book. And we looked at 1 verse 1. And that there were three who are writing to the church of Thessalonica. Uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Really, Paul's a writer, but the other two are also sharing in, in the address to the church of Thessalonica. So this morning... We look at verses 1 through 5 in our English Bibles as well. 1 Thessalonians uh, 3, or sorry, 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering, this is our focus, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were, among you for your sake. So especially verse 3, uh, we plan to, to open that up this morning by God's grace and that it may also instruct us this morning. So yes, beloved in Christ, in this letter to the church in Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul does two things. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, he shows his great affection, his great love for the church of Thessalonica. It's the affection of Jesus that really shines out in him in those chapters. And then, in verse chapters 4 and 5, you see his concern, pastoral concern, the shepherd's concern. So the shepherd's affection, chapters 1, 2, and 3, and then the shepherd's concern, chapters 4 and 5. And our prayer and our goal amongst us is that something of that, uh, that affection, something of that concern may continue to grow among us as a congregation, as we also have the shepherd's heart by the grace of God in us. This letter is written, when was it written? It was written soon after Paul and Silas were kicked out, were banned from, the, from ever coming back to the city again. They were kicked out by the city magistrates. You can read about that in Acts 17, 1 through 9. Why were Paul and Silas removed from the city? Because he preached Jesus. Anytime you preach Jesus, there's a response. Response of faith, yes, but sometimes there's a response of anger and unbelief. And that's what happened. Jesus, Paul was preaching Jesus. He was reasoning about Jesus in the synagogue. He was uh, giving the whole Old Testament Understanding and how shows how it was fulfilled in Christ Himself, and there was a great uproar in the city of Thessalonica. Can you imagine the city of Toronto being an uproar because someone preaching Jesus? That's what happened in Thessalonica, big capital city. It's still in Greece today. Back then, it was called Thessalonica. I think today it's called Salonica, baby. But Paul and Silas were there for maybe just three weeks, a little more than three weeks, chased out, never to return. And the question is, what would happen to those new believers? New believers came into the church. There were new believers from among the Jews, 
The Jews had the Bible. They had the scriptures. There were new believers among the Greeks. And the Greeks were the ones who were worshiping in the temples, worshiping the idols. And they were also changed by the Lord Jesus Christ through the preaching of the Apostle Paul. And then it also mentions in Acts 17 some of the leading women. Perhaps wise of politicians or leaders in the city. They were also converted to Jesus. They were also changed by the message of the gospel. And the question is, who's going to look after them? There's no preacher. There's no missionary. There's no church leader. They were removed from the city. What would happen to those new believers? Would they continue to believe in Jesus? Or would they turn their backs on Jesus and turn to the gods again because of family pressure and maybe the pressure of relatives and friends. Think of those prominent women who had husbands perhaps serving in the city magistrates. Could they withstand it? Could they withstand the opposition? Who's going to nurture them? Who's going to disciple them? This Persecuted congregation, a congregation from many different backgrounds. You know, you read 1 Thessalonians and you read chapter 3, you begin to see that Paul could no longer stand it. He could no longer endure the fact that he didn't know what was going on in Thessalonica, him and Silas. So he says, you know what? I'm going to send somebody back there. I'm going to send Timothy. Timothy, he was not chased out of there, so he can go back and perhaps he can report to us as to what's going on in the congregation. Are they doing okay? Are the believers growing? Did they turn their backs on Jesus? Where are they at? And Timothy, after some time, comes back to Paul and Silas in Corinth. You read that next, chapter 18. And he's so happy. Paul's so happy. He just loves the new believers. And he says, now... I live. He lives. This was his anxiety over the new believers. And he hears the good report, the good report from Timothy. And this brings us to verses 2 through 5. Apostle Paul, he expresses his affection. He shows his love. How? By thanking God. He says, we give thanks to God always for you all. He's so delighted. He's so happy that they have continued in the way of Jesus and they continued in the way of the Bible. And he gives thanks to God in three ways. If you look at verses 2, 3, and 4, in three ways he gives thanks. First of all, he makes mention of them in their prayers. See that in verse 2? He makes mention of them specifically. Yeah, do we do that? Do we pray for one another specifically as individuals in the congregation? Really important. Paul remembers them. We'll get to that in a moment. He remembers their faith, their love, and their hope. And the third thing he thanks God for is that he knows that they've been chosen by God. Those three things. He knows that they've been chosen by God. He doesn't hope they're chosen by God. He knows it. That's quite a mouthful, isn't it? It's bold. It's straightforward. He knows 
That's a very strong word there. He's certain they've been chosen by God. Ah, that should be no surprise because if you're chosen by God, it will reveal itself. That choosing will reveal itself in the faith and in the life of the new believers in Jesus. And that's what Paul sees here. He sees it in three ways. He says, I see it. I hear about it. I hear about it through Timothy. And I know it. Because what I see in you is your, what's the first one? Faith in action. Your labor prompted by love. And the third thing is your patience through hope. Love, or sorry, faith, love, and hope. Those three things, that's how he sees. That's how he knows. That's how he can speak so confidently that they've been chosen by God because he sees it in their faith. He sees it in their love. He sees it in their, their hope in Christ. And really, this is a test of what true Christianity is. What's true Christian faith like? Here it is, in a nutshell. In a nutshell. We'll see it briefly before we make some few applications. But first of all, faith by itself is dead. We know that. Faith is always accompanied by works. Christian works. And that's what Paul says here. He says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. There's never a time that Paul doesn't remember their work of faith. How thankful we are to God for all of you. He says, always remembering your work of faith. Continually. You see his affection? His affection? What's the Apostle Paul saying here? He's not saying faith is a work. <laughs> okay, faith is not the work. Faith is a gift. Rome, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Faith is a gift of God. But that faith is worked in the hearts of those whom God has chosen. It's, a, it's worked in the hearts by the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit use? He uses the preaching of the gospel. That's how he creates faith. So it's a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's a gift of God. We are saved by grace through faith. Not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not of works. But having said that, when it's a gift, it shows in our response, doesn't it? The gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. And it's a response created in us by the Holy Spirit by the grace of God. It's a response to Christ. And it shows, it results in works that are pleasing to the Lord. We've looked at the Ten Commandments. <laughs> That's one of the ways true faith shows in a love for God's commandments, a love for Christ. Faith has legs. Let me put it that way. Faith has legs. It walks. It's living. Because faith is living, it's active. Faith shows in the practical, in the practical deeds that flow from the heart of love for Christ. Really, the affection of Christ in us flowing in expressions of thanksgiving and good works. You could say faith is dressed in work clothes. It's so practical. It's a part of our everyday life. Yeah. The gospel is not just words. Please, don't think of it that way. The Thessalonians did not let the preaching 
flow over them as just sort of a bunch of words that had no connection to them. They didn't accept the gospel for information. Oh, that was nice information. No, it changed them. It changed them from the inside out. Faith. They responded in faith. And it showed them the works that belong to faith, that are expressed through faith. No, they did not accept the gospel for information. They returned to the order of the day, one to his field, another one to his trade, another one to his business. No, the preaching of the gospel, the good news of the crucified and living Savior, stirred their hearts. It took hold of their souls. They rose as new, as changed people. The gospel came in power. See that verse 5? It came in power. That power was reflected in their life. Jesus is the center. Jesus died and rose again, and that showed in their life. They died to themselves. They began dying to themselves and living that new life in Jesus. Oh yeah, they still returned to their trades, the Thessalonians. They still returned to their jobs, to their businesses, but they were different. They were changed. The works of faith began to show They turn from idols, Paul says in verse 9, to serve the true and living God. It's new service to the Lord. That's how faith shows. It's a a 24-7 thing. It's it's service to the Lord. My life is in service to the Lord. The works of faith. You know, a car, if I give you, if I sell you a car and has no engine in it, I mean, not one would be cheating you, but you know it would not run. Right? A light without power doesn't shine. So says James, faith without works is dead. You say you have faith? You have no works? You're dead. Dead. And faith is only words. Anyone can say, I'm a Christian. But James would say, prove it to me. Prove your election. Show it. They need to ask. Then we need to ask, do I really have faith? That's really the thing. Faith. Because Jesus is the one who changes us from the inside. Apostle Paul was certain of their election by God. You see the power of the gospel. He heard about it through Timothy and he's elated because it's followed by the fruit of faith. The works. The report of their faith. You look a bit later, we hope to focus on next time. The report of their faith was heard everywhere around them. It went into the towns, into the villages. People said there's something different. There's something different about them. We give thanks to God always for you all, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. But you know what? Can't separate faith from loving others, loving God and others, and also hope. Because such a faith also works through love. It's a unity, isn't it? Those three things. Faith, love, and hope. Galatians 5, verse 6. Faith works through love. And now Paul says, yes, we give thanks to God continually for your labor of love. Another way of saying that is labor prompted by love. Yeah. Faith wears work clothes. It does. If you're changed by Jesus, 
it wears work clothes. It shows in the practical. Otherwise, do you have faith? The other thing is, love also wears the clothes of labor. And think of the word labor here. It's a little different from work. Labor has a sense of toil. It, it's, it costs you something. It's, it's hardship often. It's a love that gladly takes on the toil, the sacrifice, and even hardship because of Jesus and his affection in you. When Jesus' affection is in you, it's going to show to the others around you. It will. Your election shows. With love and joy. You know, notice Jesus in Isaiah 53, verse 12. What did he see? He saw the labor. The labor of his soul. The labor of his soul for you. And he was satisfied. With love and joy, he gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins on the cross. Enduring the cross. Because he loved you. It cost him. He sacrificed himself. And now Paul says, I see that. I see that love, that Christ-like love now in you, he says to the Thessalonians. He says, you're a giving congregation. You're gladly taking on the toil. You're willing to go out of the way for others. They've been turned inside out. They used to serve themselves, but now they've turned inside out. Crazy. But that's what happens. The affection of Christ changed them. It's a love that costs. It's a love that sacrifices. The Apostle Paul knows their election by God. He sees it in their labor prompted by love. Paul heard it through Timothy. If you look at chapter 3, verse 6, he gave news of their faith and their love. The two belong together. You can't have faith and not have love. Impossible. Later in 4 verse 9, it leads Paul to say, Concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves were taught by God to love one another. You need to take a careful look at this love. Okay, a love prompted, sorry, a labor prompted by love. What's that love look like? Well, it can sometimes have a painful expression. It can sometimes be hard. Because it's hard to die to self. It's hard. And yet the love of Christ compels us to give. That the love of Christ may flow out from us for Him, for the glory of God and for others. It's not about us. It's not about myself. Paul saw that. He saw the glow in the Corinthians, or sorry, in the Thessalonians. Yes, take a careful look at love. Why? God's people know from experience that love for God and loving our neighbor is sometimes really, really hard. It costs something. It goes against our sinful nature. It's difficult. It's, some, it's not fun. It takes time away from my schedule. That person's not always nice to me. I don't like him. Never mind. Such love, such love requires 
self-denial. No, it's not require it. It is. The, the, the love of Christ. Just, that's, that's what begins to happen. In fullness, no, because we know we have to wrestle with those things of our sinful nature. But your election shows in the love, the labor that's prompted by love. And you notice the Thessalonians never cried about this. They didn't labor out of duty. Oh, I did this, I did my duty. No. It's out of a relationship. A relationship that changes us. A relationship which shows in love. It's a labor not of duty, but of love. The congregation was like a mother. A mother who finds blessing in the painful labor of childbirth. Only mothers know this. The painful child of labor. But she finds blessing in it. Joy in it. Love in it. Think of Jason. We can give a concrete example from Thessalonica. We heard about it last week, but we can just make a quick reference to it. Jason, nobody knows who he really was. He's an ordinary believer, like anybody in any congregation. But you see his labor was prompted by love because he was changed by Jesus. He was maybe a tradesman. Maybe he worked with his hands. Apostle Paul worked with his hands too. And Jason, what did he do? He harbored, he took in Silas, he took in Paul. So when Paul was not preaching, Paul was busy with his own hands making money. And Jason took him in the house. And you know what happened. Thugs from the city. They stormed his door. They knocked down his door. And they're looking all over the house for Paul and Silas. Probably banging on walls. Probably making a big mess of his house. They didn't find Paul and Silas. Nowhere to be found. And what do they do? The thugs dragged Jason a believer in Jesus. Oh, Jason's labor was prompted by love. They dragged him to the city magistrate, some other believers. They started accusing him, they started charging him. So you believe in Jesus as the king? You're not following Caesar the emperor? Oh, a labor prompted by love. John says, you know that you have passed from death to life. How do you know that? Again, your election shows in this way because you love the brothers. You love one another. You know? In our hearts, hatred is easily there. Jealousy and so forth. But now, if you've passed from death to life, you love the brothers. He who does not love his brother, you're dead, says John. You're dead. By this we know, love, because Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought also to lay down our life for one another. That's love. It's not a nice feeling all the time, but it's a love that gives self to others. That's, that's the sign of election. There's, there's the proof of election. There's the proofs of change by God, says Paul. We give thanks to God for you all, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, but also your patience of hope. That's our last thing. 
Faith works through love. But you notice that both faith and love are inspired by hope. It's because of the hope we have in Jesus that there's, we can also exercise our faith and exercise our love. Your patience of hope. That is, a patience marked by hope. The only way we can be patient with one another, <laughs> really, if we're patient with one another, that expresses something of the hope in us, doesn't it? works patience with God that expresses something of the hope that's in us yes hope wears a strong leather jacket it does hope wears a strong leather jacket and what is hope it's the capacity for holding out you notice the Thessalonians and all the opposition and all their afflictions they were not letting go of Christ. And they were not letting go of Christ. Why? Because Christ was holding on to them. And that showed in them not letting go of Him. Praise be to God for His grace. In spite of the setbacks, in spite of the hardships, they persevered. They kept on oaring their canoes against the stream by the grace of God. One person says it this way. Hope is like a child. You know when a child is afraid? He runs into his father's arms. And once he's safe there, the child sits there like a king. It's just as hard to destroy hope as it is to shake a child's firm faith in his father. Hope stands firm no matter how dark God's ways may be. Hope says to the waves and to the storms, you roar and you rush as you please. But my Father will carry me safely through. And we know that in reality, life is not always like that, is it? We can be tempted to think otherwise. We can be shaken by things in our lives, by hardships. We sometimes fall into times of depression. Realities also in the Christian life. But then we're reminded... Our hope is not in ourselves. Paul makes really clear the patience of hope where? In the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Lord Jesus Christ. In the sight of God our Father. The Thessalonian believers were sticking it out. Boy, they had a tough time as believers. They struggled in their faith. But because of their hope in Jesus, because of the hope of the second coming, is this your hope? The hope of the second coming of Christ. You notice at the end of every chapter, Paul refers to the second coming of Christ. The end of every chapter. Hope in the Lord Jesus is like the hope of a child. It trusts. It believes. It doesn't say, well, whatever fate decides, I'll just passively endure it. No. It's active. It endures hardship actively. It keeps on persevering because of the confident expectation in Jesus. The Bible says this hope never disappoints. The hope, yeah, this hope, the patience of hope, which is really, yeah, again, the evidence of God's election in us. 
It's not based on wishful thinking. Like, I hope it doesn't rain today, but it did. That's not that kind of hope, right? It's kind of a hope, hopeful thing, but you don't know whether it's going to really happen or not. It's not a hope based on myth. In other words, not on dreams and fairy tales. No, it's based on solid, solid promises given to us in Christ. They are so sure. They are so true. Apostle Paul says in 2 verse 19, What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? <laughs> Paul's looking forward to that when he can see them also in the presence of Christ when he returns. They're not to soar as those who have no hope. 1 Thessalonians 4. Hope in Christ is unwavering. That is true hope. And it should inspire your work of faith, your labor of love. Paul saw the power of Jesus. He saw the grace of God's election in the life of the Thessalonian believers. We give thanks to God for you all, beloved brethren. Your election by God, it's seen in your work of faith, your love or your labor prompted by love, and your patience of hope. You know, see Christ's affectionate concern for you too. Really. He laid his life down for you. Have you embraced Jesus? Do you believe him? Does it show in your life? You would not turn your face against Jesus, would you? You would not turn away from him? Trust him. And our goal, as this, we come to know more and more of the affection of Christ through faith, that that affection may grow among us. And this is our powerful witness to the community around us. We're going to see that from 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 and following. The report. They're different. Look how they love each other. Look how they give themselves for each other. Look how they make time for each other. Look how they give notes to each other. Look how they call each other. It shows. A few applications. Just three short ones. And we close. Can you speak of your faith? love and hope in this specific way? A faith in action, a labor prompted by love, a patience marked by hope. No, being general won't do. If we can manage no more than a few vague phrases, then we have to ask, is my Christianity real? Have it been changed from the inside by Christ? And through the power of the gospel. Has the gospel, has Jesus changed your heart? Has he changed your life? Second thing, we live in the last days. Those last days have been since Christ ascended to heaven. Don't think that now is the last days. Those last days began when Jesus ascended to heaven. And the last days are from that till the time he returns. So we live in the last days. Christ is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And you'll notice a little later, 
In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8, Paul refers to faith, hope, and love again. But he refers to it as spiritual armor that we as Christians need to continually wear in the face of opposition and hardship, even as the Thessalonians did. We heard last week, right? Christians are persecuted. It's not that persecution will come. Christians are persecuted. This is what Paul says. But let us who are of the day be sober. How do you be sober? Putting on the breastplate of faith and love. There's the two. And the helmet of hope of salvation. You know what? The church, the church's enemy aims at nothing less than to totally destroy you. To totally destroy you. That's the enemy of the church. And we need to be vigilant. We need to be prepared to suffer. Are you prepared to suffer for the sake of Jesus? This morning, we're talking a little bit. You think about the sex ed in our public schools. That's Satan's tool to destroy the children of the church. No no child should be in a public school system. Christian child. It's Satan's tool to destroy the children of the church. Put on faith. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And as a helmet of the hope of salvation. That's the second thing. Wear it. Put it on. This is what's going to get you through. And finally, the work of faith. The labor of love. The patience of hope. This is a specific way that true infection and concern expresses and grows amongst us as members. This is the power of the gospel. It simply is. It's the, it's, it's the gospel of Jesus at work in us as members. Knows what Paul says. We give thanks to God always for you all. Churches give thanks to God for buildings, for budgets. But you notice what Paul gives first thanks for? Your faith. Your work of faith. He looks at the spiritual realities. Your work of faith. Your labor prompted by love. Your patience of hope. Yes, one day we shall know that it has been worth it all because we will behold his glory, the glory of God the Father in the face of Jesus Christ. It's worth it. It's worth it. There is so much, so much to give thanks to God for. What wonderful words to hear, isn't it? To see the grace of God expressed in such a beautiful powerful way in the lives of his people. Amen.